Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dave AC and The Sixth Doctor. And it's a podcast, sir, but... Possibly not the one you were expecting. Hello, this is Dave AC in the chair today. Uh, unfortunately, Ian uh, is doing spam, 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 spam. So he won't be with us today, although he might just potter in if we do go to any great length, but um, possibly not. Uh, and I will mention that that has some impact on our topic for today and uh, what we will be doing next month. But before I do that, we've just got a couple of people here in the room. Uh, we've got our third member of the... Uh, commentary team and that's none other than mike randall thor so hi mike hey dave how are you today um good indeed uh, double duties because i've got to uh, try and run the room and run the content but uh, with you here that should be absolutely marvelous now i could say at this point i could put a little fib out and say because ian wasn't here we thought we'll search around and try and get a, a really quality co-presenter to fill that void but <laughs> Somebody wandered in off the street, so he'll just have to do. Kyle, do you know anything about this sort of business? Hi, Kyle. Oh, I don't know. I mean, like, so what is, what is like, uh, cultdom? I mean, like, movies or TV or, yeah. But I do know this. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. And uh, that's a little bit of an in-joke here because Kyle is, uh, he's got a factory system going. He's automated, not kept the quality up, man, kept the quality up. But with his uh, two regular co-hosts, um, uh, Lee and Clarence, is uh, is actually uh, you won't. Let's just spend a minute with. Uh, we'll give Mike a chance to mention some of the things he's doing at some point. But uh, um, are you getting anywhere near to discussing who episode one hundred yet? You must be not far off. Uh, well, I'm, I'm about seven episodes off. We've got ninety-two that's coming out. As soon as I get it edited, we're recording 93 next week. And it's funny that you're mentioning the stuff that we're doing because discussing who has become exclusively Doctor Who and we spun off everything else that we talked about into discussing comics. So there's three episodes out there of it. And uh, so, yeah. Um, and, you know, I got to give a shout out to also um, one of the other uh, co-hosts you mentioned, Clarence. He uh, I know we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery a little bit later. Uh, he also has a Star Trek Discovery podcast at stdpodcast.com, and I'm on that too, as well as, of course, um, he's also got a tech uh, podcast called Techpedition at techpedition.com. And, of course, can't leave out Lee, which has uh, 
the Relativity podcast, which is a sci-fi space opera serialized podcast, which is really cool. So, yeah, check that out. Two series of that out, I believe. Yeah, I, yes, I, I yes, downloaded them. Uh, yeah, I've not uh, listened to them all yet, but uh, I've I certainly following it on iTunes uh, and got it there. And um, so, uh, absolutely great to have. Mike, let's since we're giving him a chance to promote, do you want to just mention any of the soundscapes or work you're doing at the moment? Right. Uh, of course, he's referring to the uh, my sound collage series over on Radio Free Camelon. Super awesome, fun time with Rand which uh, you can find details for that over on the uh, blog for that, which is the rat project.wordpress.com to name taken from my original podcast. And I just, I keep all my podcast info, uh, my uh, updates there. Um, other stuff there's, I've been, okay. So for, for a while now, I've been considering bringing back Friday night trivia. It's just whether or not I can actually find time. And now I've had someone else nagging me to bring, to bring that podcast back. Uh, Brad RBCP Carter of the, uh, the phone losers snowplow show uh, podcast. He's been, he's the, the latest person to be nagging me uh, about that. And uh, bring back trivia Friday nights. He, I, I, I kind of get the, the feeling he wants to, to join in if I ever restart that. It's just right now it's just finding time considering my schedule nowadays is different from how it was back when I did the, did my last trivia episode. Um, if I ever do, it'll be Friday nights, 9 PM Eastern time talk show ID seven, two, four, zero, two, uh, radio free came one. Uh, other than that, uh, there's actually been some, some, some my other podcast, Marble Operator, which was discussed the YouTube series Marble Hornets and a bunch of other Slenderman series back when that was a thing. Uh, there's been some news from the the creator of the of that Marble Hornet series, so I may be bringing the Marble Operator podcast back. All of that info is at the Rat Project at WordPress.com. I'm again, that's where I keep all my podcasts information and find out more there and that's all that i have right now wow i I begin to feel a little bit lazy i'm feeling like the the old man of the show here i mean um i used to do my wine podcast of course big and fruity wine podcast still all up on itunes but um yes um and also um because as i mentioned at the beginning uh ian's not here because he's uh directing spam a lot and with his wife working backstage on that they're a very busy household um, but that has also impacted on our uh, commentary series of Better Call Saul. So uh, apologies for those people who've been uh, listening to those um, uh, commentaries and wondering why they've been a little bit absent of late. Uh, but, you know, these guys work it hard. We're just going to have to crack the whip a little bit more. And um, you may think, you know, David, uh, you've, you're not doing this show like Ian does. You didn't play the cone. Well, uh, uh, unfortunately, we have not got Cybob under the cone or anyone else under the cone with us. So the cone is having a little bit of a rest. And before we go to news, Typing Monkey is standing by. I'll just let him finish that banana before we uh, call upon his services. Uh, yes, they're breaking news. It's a male monkey. But um, what I want to do is to, before anybody decides that some of the topics that we're going to talk about may be a bit spoilerish for them, and then they decide to sort of hold off listening any further, want to make a, 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 not a big announcement, but something that we want to give you uh, advance warning of. And that is that now 
that, uh, yeah, spoiler, spoiler alert, Peter Capaldi is no longer, the Doctor he stepped down, he's regenerated. We have the Christmas episode uh, where that regeneration took place. We have a new actress playing the Doctor, Jodie uh, I always want to say Jodie Foster, but it's Jodie Whittaker. Uh, that's from the uh, the Doctor Foster series. Um, it's quite funny that. But um, we will be doing we're doing these um, live shows monthly, by the way, on TalkShoe. Call ID five four eight two one. Just in case you're listening anywhere, you know, on the tuned in our Player FM or all the other different places that Kyle thinks. Gosh, where does he find all these places to post to? Yes, I keep doing that, and. Um, we will be back on February the 25th, Sunday, February the 25th at 2 p.m., and we will be talking about the Capaldi years. Oh, I stewed over this, guys. I didn't know whether to call it the Capaldi era, the Capaldi um, doctor, the, but I settled on the Capaldi years. So we're going to be talking about that, and that gives you virtually a month, four weeks, to... Um, Perhaps watch back some of your favourite episodes, um, whether it was Into the Dalek, whether it was uh, one of the others, whether it was his very uh, first episode uh, with dinosaurs in London. But uh, we will be talking about that next week, uh, next month, and we hope Ian will be with us. So that's hopefully most of the announcements out of the way. Let's get the typey monkey. Hey, are you ready? Yeah? Okay. Yep. Oh, type in monkey go. You weren't ready. <laughs> that was the prompt because, unfortunately, apologies. Ken, although he may come in and listen a little bit, uh, he's he's building up his strength for next uh, month because he doesn't want to miss that episode. So um, I've got a few items of news, and then um, that will give you guys time to see if you've anything uh, newsworthy you want to mention. But as normal, we usually refer back to uh, the DoctorWhoNews.net site. Uh, and remember, it's a month since we did our last show, which I think was the 7th of January. So some of the information we're talking about, you may have heard about uh, on other call series and so on. But um, first one, unfortunately, is a sad one. So let's get this out of the Not out of the way. That sounds awful. Uh, but let's um, you know get the unfortunate uh, news out. This is David Fisher. Uh, Born in 1929, uh, passed away at the age of 88. This was reported on the, the 11th of January. Um, he wrote four Doctor Who stories, all starring the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, who I believe, is that Clarence's favourite Doctor still uh, now, uh, Kyle? Mm, yeah. Well, I know it is, I would say probably Lee's. I think he, he being Clarence, has a new appreciation after seeing some of the older ones of why the classic fans were so enamored with Tom Baker as the doctor. Right. Yeah. Because so, Clarence is a, is a lovely foil on your show. He, he, he knows quite a bit about Doctor Who. I'm not, I'm not saying he doesn't, but he does come with a fresh pair of eyes and keeps um, Kyle on his toes a little bit. And Kyle uh, put some very good questions to him. You, uh, to get his perspective on things. So it makes, I think, when I'm listening to your podcast, a very nice balance of uh, knowledge, understanding, and uh, insights. And, of course, uh, I hate to say it, but it's even better when Lee's there as well. But uh, oh, I'm yes. sure you feel like yeah. yourself. Okay. Yeah, we, well, um, we both say that, yep. Okay. So um, 
Uh, it was uh, the two stories key to time season, uh, Stones of Blood, and um, he won a lot of praise with that. Um, he wrote the, uh, the following story, The Androids of Tara, um, uh, which was inspired by the um, Anthony Hope novel, The Prisoner of Zender. Uh, and there's uh, quite a little bit of information, but he also worked on uh, uh, Hammer House of Horror, General Hospital, Hospital Crown Court, uh, The Lotus Eaters, Crowns of Passion, Dixon of Doc Green, um, and other things. So uh, that's uh, another alumni member uh, lost, unfortunately, uh, to the the the, the Doctor Who world, as it were. Uh, we also, just the day after we'd done our last show, the uh, the top audiences for uh, Twice Upon a Time, the chart position came up, and that's, uh, again, linked in here at the DoctorWhoNews.net page. Uh, just to say that um, it came number ninth, still fairly respectable, with an overall uh, 7.92 million, uh, either side of that was um, EastEnders, the uh, Strictly Come Dancing Christmas special, and then, of course, there are always soaps that score highly in there. But in terms of actually uh, drama, not soaps, but other drama, uh, it was easily uh, quite high up there. I'm not sure sure whether Victoria was... Oh, yes, Victoria was. There was a one-off special of the Victoria, and that is where Jenna Coleman is playing uh, uh, Victoria in that. And, of course, on Netflix, they also have a, um, a series about uh, the royal family. That's The Crown, where Matt Smith is in that. And um, we may mention a couple of those again with um, the awards. But uh, the highest drama was um, actually Call the Midwife that came in at number two with almost 10 million. So, again, lots of, lots of things and great sites go to there. Uh, before we go on to the awards... Um, Mike, any, any news items that you want to mention before we get to um, the awards? Been looking around and uh, nothing that I'm noticing, nothing that stands out. Okay, and Kyle, give you a chance. No, I think I think we're good. I mean, I'm good. So. Okay. Oh, well, now in one one quick yeah. mention, and that's the, the the this is okay. So we've been of course, of course Star Wars is something we also mention quite a bit here, and. The 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 new spinoff, well the the new standalone movie, the next one, Solo, a Star Wars movie. I don't know if anyone's been paying attention to the the to it, just anything about that, but apparently it's it's its release date has been well I don't know how long ago this was, but its release date is in May at the end of May this year, and I don't know. This is kind of an odd thing that I've noticed is that Star Wars and Disney just in general are not saying much about this, and they're kind of Pushing this one out earlier in the year, early summer, late spring, kind of get it out of the way. Moving into the next ones, of course, they this one had the the change of directors, uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, and ended up with uh, Ron Howard as the director. And I didn't even realize that the premise they they released the, the official premise, and it doesn't even say much about the movie. And the the, the blog entry I was reading on reading was posted on the um, StarWars.com site and. The, their article itself there said that not much was known about the movie. So it's an interesting situation surrounding this this movie. What's going on? Was was it something with the with the directors? Why is Disney kind of wanting to keep silent on this movie? 
but it does it is being released at the end of May here in a few months. So mid so mid year as a, as opposed to a December release as has been the the new tradition with the the new series of Star Wars movies. So so Mike, if you don't mind, let me ask you a question or an opinion question. Do you think the reason for this is to transition the next Star Wars movie, Episode Nine, to be a May release back the way the originals were, or do you think this is just like like we were saying, kind of just letting this one fly under the radar? It could see. I don't know. I don't. I've not been paying that close attention to production on episode on the uh, episode nine. All I the the main thing I know about episode nine is that it's going back to J.J. Abrams uh, following uh, Return of the uh, uh, Last Jedi, and it could be I. I this one just seems because there's not been much publicity on this one. This is well, to me it seems that Disney just wants to get this released quietly and move on to their the, the next project. Or, yeah, it seems like that to me too. So I was just yeah. curious what you thought because even the, the the logo for the movie was only I don't think it was officially released. It was released in a in a in a, in a picture that Ron Howard posted to his one of his social media accounts, Instagram or something. And that was when it was, how it was revealed. Not typical fashion for a, a Star Wars movie. But now we're going into speculation territory. So uh just wanted to mention Star Wars, solo Star Wars movie coming out a lot sooner than, than expected. Right, because some of the things changed. And uh, we want to welcome into the new, uh, into the room, We've got Darth, Darth Skeptical joining us. Uh, hopefully his audio's sorted out. Uh, hiya, Dar. Hey, how are you? Fine, indeed. Uh, we're having a sort of. Uh, hopefully, you will stay with us. We're we're, we're discussing some general things. Um, we did have a little chat before we started the recording, but um, Ian unfortunately is not able to join us until next month. So we're holding off until next month, uh, February the twenty-fifth, the last Sunday in the month, uh, when we're going to be talking about the Capaldi years. We're going to do a review. Uh, of uh, how we feel as though uh, the Capaldi period as the Doctor, uh, what we thought about it, how it stands up, and our favourites. So uh, that's the one that we're hoping um, uh, we'll get uh, a larger returning audience. Ken's not too well at the moment, may pop in, uh, but um, that's where we're at. We've just been doing some uh, general news. I'm just going to give a little bit of um, a, a not go into any detail as we have in the past, but just a little bit of a, an idea of what's going on in the awards um, uh, period that we're in now. And then um, I'll ask you if you've got any use, unless you've only got a small item that you, you'd be happy to just uh, uh, deal with that now before we go on to that. Uh, no, not really. No, okay, I, well, I just heard the very tail end of, uh, what was apparently a solo discussion. Uh, yeah, Mike was just saying that had been announced trailer, earlier than, yeah. The concern that the trailer hasn't come out yet, that's a little bit late or something. Yeah, just the, the how they're handling the release of solo Star Wars movie, kind of not giving it as much publicity as others? Or how? Yeah, my theory on that, I mean, sure, there, there's the gloom and doom theory that I think is circulating around the internet and that you may have already talked about. It's suspicious in a bad way. Uh, my oh, we lost your audio. Oh, did you lose me, Tom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're oh, back, back now. You're at way right. back now. 
Too loud now. All right. Well, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> but my take on it is, is simply that uh, the release date is too close to Last Jedi. And uh, they, uh, in the, in the, they really want to make sure that Last Jedi gets its full release as much as it can. There's not that much of a distraction away from it. And that any kind of advertising budget that they have for Star Wars in general is really going towards, uh, you know, getting people to go back to see Last Jedi. Uh, I don't find any particular concern. I mean, the movie comes out in May. Um, if you get a trailer by late February, even when Last Jedi is really not around that much anymore, that's fine. I don't think that's terribly concerning. And the other thing is, yeah, there there probably is some actual. Oh, production issues. I don't, I don't understand what's going on. There probably are some production issues afoot. Right. He had to, he had to refilm reportedly eighty five percent of the movie. So this is not like Justice League, which was you know for tragic reasons going from one director to another, and really it was two films knitted together as one, and we saw you know that was like. Um, this is in effect. Um, and this isn't even Superman 2, right? Going back in time, uh, where you had a good half of the film, more than half the film, already done by Donner before the final director came in. This is really more or less uh, a new film with some inserts from the old film. <laughs> So, I mean, it's kind of understandable from a, just a production standpoint why you wouldn't have a trailer, but I really think it has more to do with marketing than anything else. They just want Last Jedi to have full prominence. I mean, think about um, Rogue One, right, in relation to – I mean, that was a December release even. But, I mean, you still didn't get anything from Rogue One until March, April, something like that. Um, because they were, you know, giving the full stage to Force Awakens. All right, I'm not, I'm not that concerned. All right, so it's, it's not a question of, you know, they, they, they've um, sacked a director or this, that, and the other that has sometimes gone on with other other movies, and and therefore they've, um, you know, they've had to do rejigging. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that doesn't have any role to do with it, but I don't think it's a problematic role. I'm actually quite encouraged to see that uh, Ron Howard has said, you know what, no, I've got to really do the majority of this film. Right. That makes the marketing slightly later. It really doesn't – I, I kind of think that the marketing would have been later anyway just because of Last Jedi, but even if that's not the reason – I'm happy to say the reason is because Ron Howard is in charge as opposed to Ron Howard is supplementing what was already there. Right. Okay. Um, thanks for that then. Um, what I want to do is just very quickly just remind people that we are sort of in the awards season and um, uh, they've also been used these award seasons for various types of protest already. But um, since we did our uh, last show on January the 7th, that was the same evening as the um, the Golden Globe Awards 
uh, were being announced. I, I think on the last show I actually mentioned it as being on the Monday, but of course it was Monday in the UK, but it was still uh, obviously the, the Sunday that it was being aired in America. Um, I'm going to mention them, then there's the Academy Award nominations on the 12th. Uh, we got the SAG um, Awards on the 21st of January. Um, we've got um, the Oscar nominations uh, luncheon starting soon. Uh, so there's an awful lot. What I wanted to do is just very quickly pick a few bones out of what what names are cropping up a lot. I'm not, not going to need clips to play on this uh, because we, we wanted to move on to a couple of other things. But um, the 23rd Quick uh, Critics' Choice Awards, um, uh, and that, of course, was on January the 11th. So uh, it was things like Best Picture, um, and it was The Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, The Post. Uh, seem to have quite a lot of nominations for that. I think some of them can have up to ten nominations. Some only have five. And The Shape of Water won the best picture. Uh, more Del Toro, is it? Uh, sorry, mangled his name. Um, he won the Best Director Award for The Shape of Water. Uh, and along with things like Three Billboards, uh, Dunkirk, Get Out, and so on. Gary Oldman um, won the Best Actor for The Darkest Hour as Wilson Churchill. I didn't go and see that. Um, my brother-in-law went to see that uh, on Saturday. I was at um, a, an actual uh, do, uh, 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 a sort of a birthday bash. So I didn't have to go and see it with me. But I've I've heard that his um, his portrayal of Churchill is outstanding. Certainly Mark Commode uh, on the BBC Film Night uh, praised it highly. But he was a little bit indifferent about the movie itself. Um, didn't know quite so why it uh, said it, was, it tended to be a lot of people chattering in rooms. Uh, but he did praise Gary Oldman's under an enormous amount of prosthetics. Uh, because it's, if you've seen him in The Dark Knight or whatever, whichever Batman film he was in, he's got quite a thin, lean face. Have you seen him in Tinker Tailed Soldier Spy? Are all of the numerous, numerous films he's been in? He, he's got the full Winston Churchill. Uh, full figure of a man with his cigar and um, uh, yeah um, so he won that uh, Francis um, McDormand uh, three billboards uh, outside Ebbing is the full title uh, Ebbing Missouri uh, won the best actress uh, uh, over and above uh, Sally Hawkins from Sh Shape of Water and um, the other ones Beryl Streep in the post and so on and those lists are all there. I put a link in the room to um, uh, the Wikipedia link on that. I should just mention the um, the Golden Globes, the 75th Golden Globes. They were held on January the 7th. But as I say, they were going out just about after we did our show. And um, the same names are coming up, uh, unsurprisingly. Drama, Three Billboards Outside Edmonton, One. Uh, Lady Bird for musical or comedy. Gary Oldman again with the actor Darkest Hour, Winston Churchill. Um, and again, I will put that in. If anybody in the room wants to um, make a note of anything that they felt uh, worthy of their award over and above or anybody that got slighted, please do say so. Um, but there's an awful lot of information there. And also, we have now got uh, 
the Oscar nominations. Of course, the the actual Oscars are not until uh, March, I think. Um, I've got the date written down here somewhere. Uh, 4th of March, uh, the Academy Awards. The 90th Academy Awards. Uh, but the uh, the actual uh, list is there. And again, um, I've put the list in the room. Those people who will go to chatgrabber.com can get those. Uh, I don't know whether anybody's got any favourites. Let me. I'll ask uh, you by name. If uh, let me do it that way. Uh, I know you're not very interested in these awards, are you, Mike? But uh, anything you uh, plugging for are uh, any performance? No, not particularly. Okay, that's that's absolutely fine. Kyle, are you? I don't know what your uh, outlook is on awards. Whether the People slapping each other on the back, or whether it's something you follow, uh, or you just probably just watch the red carpet, don't you? Be honest. Mm, no, not. And you know, I'm kind of like I'm curious to see who wins, but it's not like. Well, uh, well, let me say this: I do think that Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot should have gotten some type of award. I mean, nomination at least. But other than that, I just kind of watch it and see what happens. I really kind of, um, okay, well, you know, I, I liked X movie and that's all that matters. So that's kind of me. So Mike, I think, I think you and I are kind of similar to the, M, M, blah, 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 the uh, not caring one way or the other on it. Right. I, I'm surprised that Gail Gadot, she did get one award, but I think as a newcomer, seems hard to me to think of her as a newcomer, but I suppose with the uh, Superman and Batman movie was where she sort of made her first impact and probably save that film um, for some Ooh, yeah. people at least. Uh, and then Me. Wonder Woman, I thought she was fabulous. But she was it's incredible. She thought it was a newcomer because she was in Fast and Furious franchise. Oh, of course, six Ravens. was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she's in the several, I think, or two or three. Yeah. 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 So she's not she's not a newcomer exactly, but yeah, that I, I quite agree with Kyle. That ridiculous. I mean, just I can I can kind of see passing Gal Gadot by maybe, um, but I can't see passing Patty Jenkins by. That's- I'm I'm with you there. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you can see Gal Gadot as like a breakout artist rather than a newcomer, where you know she's she's suddenly got in the big books. Uh, well, again, that's contentious nowadays with the with the mm-hmm. sellers. Uh, I believe with the 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 remake of. Uh, one of the films, um, one of the guest stars came back, I don't know, it was Jake Gyllenhaal or someone, and he got paid something like $3 million to do all the scenes oh, you had to about, do. Oh, you're talking about Matt Damon, I think. From, oh, Matt uh, Damon, that was right, yeah. He got paid $3 million for his retake. His, his, the starring woman got uh, $100,000 for coming back. Yeah. But, I mean, at least Matt Damon did eventually do the right thing, and I think it it, it, it turned into a great sort of, teachable moment kind of he didn't he didn't in the end he didn't actually profit from that he gave it all away yeah yeah uh, here in the UK a very smaller stage um, six of the biggest paid uh, male celebrities on BBC TV have taken salary cuts uh, they've cut the salaries in half uh, because of uh Latest news that they found out that because of the BBC charter, uh, the um, 
anybody who earned over £200,000, which is what, $300,000, uh, they were listing uh, th their money. And it suddenly came at some of these, um, uh, the person who does mastermind, uh, Humphreys, mm. uh, he, he's paid nearly £700,000, $800,000. He said he's taken a substantial cut, more than 50%. Um, and um, J uh, yeah. Jeremy who does the... Um, uh, a few things. So, um, I'm trying to remember his second name now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's uh, all the sort of background to that. Um, so, as I say, seventh uh, of January is the uh, the Golden Globes. The eleventh was the Critics' Choice Awards. Nineteenth of January was the SAG Awards, Screen Actors Guild Awards. Twenty uh, third, uh, the Academy Award nominations, uh, and the twenty seventh is the ADG. Uh, Art Directors Guild Awards. I don't know how they rank in importance, but of course the Academy Awards are 90th, as I say, air on the 4th. Any, anybody want to add any background to that without going into any depth? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I will say broadly, I don't care about most of the rest of these things. I do care about the Oscars a bit. Uh, right. So I'll just make a few little comments there. I actually think it's a bit of a travesty that Mark Hamill didn't get nominated um, for Last Jedi. Um, especially, you know, the Denzel Washington performance, I don't think was even Denzel Washington's greatest performance, and I don't really think that deserved to be there. I would have really appreciated a uh, Mark Hamill nomination. Maybe not a win, but just a nomination. Um, I, I will say that one of the things that strikes me about the uh, Academy Award list as opposed to the Golden Globes list is that it is not quite so male-centric as that one. As Natalie Portman obviously pointed out in her Golden Globes speech, you know, here are the male directors that have been nominated. Um, at least uh, the quite, quite excellent uh, Greta Gerwig directorial, not debut, but moment here with Lady Bird was recognized. I would not be surprised if she actually got the award. I think that would be fantastic. Uh, that is a well, well-deserved um, nomination. And it makes me feel less bad about the absence of Patty Jenkins. Um, but still, I think Patty Jenkins should have been there. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Shape of Water, as a directorial effort, is fantastic. Uh, and I, uh, I wouldn't, you know, that would be my second choice. Um, I really hope that Christopher Nolan doesn't get it for Dunkirk because my oh. God, the movie was overladen <laughs> and was only it was only magnificent in its very ending. And at that point, yes, that was that was good stuff. But I, I'm completely on tune with you that I I didn't go and yeah. see it in the movie, but I bought the Blu-ray of it and watched it only a couple of nights ago. I was very disappointed. I mean, my own dad, my own father, Eric, was at Dunkirk. Yeah. He was actually yeah. left behind. Uh, he had to um, uh, destroy a lot of the stuff they left because obviously they couldn't leave working uh, munitions and things on the beach. Sure. So they had to either blow it up and so on. But I couldn't believe it. I mean, yeah, I mean they had Tom Hardy in there. He was flying for about half an hour without any fuel. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> believe that. There were some scenes where we're on a little boat and it was daylight. And then they switched to the beach, yeah. and it was nighttime, uh, with no explanation. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. It was just basic oh. directorial continuity error. So why I mean, he's... The, uh, yeah. 
I mean, there were some clues there. I mean, like when, when first of all, the, I didn't like it right at the start when we saw these young guys, uh, the mm. running because they're being shot at, and and one mm. jumps over a wooden fence where he sees the bullet holes going right through the fence, and he hides uh, sorry behind the gate, and he hides behind the gate. He doesn't go to the concrete pillar at the side, uh, you know, and the bullet holes are still coming through. He drops his rifle and runs. Uh, there was a nice point where he sees somebody burying somebody, and you only afterwards realise that he was burying a soldier with no clothes. And it turned out, uh, I don't know whether this should be spoilers, but it turns out that mm. he'd actually stolen his clothes because he's actually a Frenchman. Yeah. And he's put yeah. But then, then the, the, the other things, uh, unbelievable. I mean, when they got strafed on the beach and a lot of them went right. down, this lad without the, the gun, the first thing I would have done is got a rifle off one of the bodies, got his water bottle and all sorts. And if I was on the beach for 36 hours, the last thing I'd do is stand in the water, getting me, me clothes wet, because I'm going to have to sleep on those in the beach. I couldn't leave yeah. it. Yeah, it's just yeah. ridiculous. It was just a film. I don't know how you take one of the greatest sort yeah. of underdog moments, kind of, in military history, right? Right. And turn it into something that actually feels that makes you watch your watch i mean that's yeah. the biggest thing is just that it was just i mean maybe that's editing but i mean whatever the director still is in control of editing right um, right it got was when yeah. the ship capsized towards the end of yeah. that last half hour yeah, and yeah. then coming yeah. out last half hour last half hour is actually excellent but that's yeah. you know why not make that the film make, make it a short I you was know, uh, yeah, I was already uh, chuckling by uh, that. Yeah, yeah, and um, what was the other thing? Yeah, um, yeah I realised. I mean, uh, the uh, Sir, oh, the director was on the uh, on the pier. Uh, Sir, oh, um, Branagh. Yeah, the uh, played by Branagh. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, it yeah. looked as though the only act they could afford him for two days, so they filled him. He, he never went yeah. and talked on the yeah, radio. The he never consulted anybody. Uh, right. He stood there watching it. Uh, he did nothing except say, "Get the ship away from her." Of Kenneth Branagh, how do you squander Kenneth Branagh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Branagh, who would do anything for you because this is a historical thing. He loves historical stuff. He yeah. does stuff that puts the British in a good light. He would do anything for you, and you have him stand on a pier the whole time. I mean, it's ridiculous. Just for, yeah. uh, that. Let's just just put this to bed and say that's a fail. And in the animated feature category, I swear it feels like they just. Put anything that came out up there. I mean, the boss baby, the boss baby. This thing has like a forty or a fifty on Rotten Tomatoes, and it doesn't even deserve that. It's a horrible film. And yeah, let me ask you a for, question. Then, uh, yeah, have they in the past, when there's not been any good animated feature, haven't they just scrapped that category some years? Well, they haven't. Well, first they of don't all, have to put anything in. It's not, right. it's, not, well, it's, not, it's not that old a category to begin with because right. remember like Beauty, Beauty and the Beast actually got nominated in just straight up Best Picture. Um, right. So it's only about 20, 30 years old. What they've done in the past is they simply have had three. Right. Or four or whatever. They haven't done five. And this is, you know, Boss Baby and Ferdinand. I know. I, I got no time for that. I really hope it goes to Loving Vincent. It's probably going to go to Coco, but Coco is just nowhere as good as Moana was last year. Uh, it's still good, though, so I don't want to disparage Ooh. that in terms of art direction, in terms of sumptuous visuals, in terms of uh, actually 
proper representation of the culture that it's doing. It's, it has the same sort of cachet among um, Espanol Blantes as sort of uh, Moana did among Polynesians. You know, there is a sense that, yes, the culture has been represented fairly. So, I mean, Coco is good. I, if it won, I would not, there would not be no great, you know, rending of sheets or anything like that. But Loving Vincent is ex- an extraordinary piece of animation that is not from the Disney stable house that, you know, and it's nice every once in a while, I think to throw a bone to other people who are doing good animation and it's, it's a great story. You know, it's a, it's a tough subject. Now, uh, is this, in is way. this, is this the one that, cause I saw a little documentary. I'm sure it was this one. It's all done from oil paintings. Right. It's all done in the style of Vincent Van Gogh. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. So six, six, 65,000 paintings they did. And the the, mm. the actor who plays um, portrays Vincent uh, is mm. talked to one artist, and the, the man says, "I'm spending the next six months painting you," because he was painting, mm. and they had a little documentary on the BBC. It might have even been on the the film night with uh, Mark Gamode. I don't know, but it Maybe. was fan- fantastic. Um, the um, they, had, they had Starry Night in it, Kyle, that you'll know from. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> but um, uh, just on what I saw. That deserves uh, an innovation award, if not, uh, without even seeing the others, I would say that that would be a deserving winner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would oh. be, I mean, I, I hope it goes that way. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, you know, I mean, in general, I'm not, you know, terribly disappointed by the whole crop of uh, films that have been nominated in the various categories. But I think there's some interesting things in like visual effects this year. I mean, I cannot pick that category. I really cannot right. pick that category. That is honestly the toughest category I think in the whole thing, which is interesting to me. Um, because I mean, how do you how do you place Blade Runner twenty forty nine against Last Jedi, against War of the Planet of the Apes, against Kong, and against uh, Galaxy of the Guardian? I mean, Volume Two was just a visual treat, and and then maybe the in terms of like three uh, D. Probably the best of all of these in 3D. Um, so I don't know what you do with that category, but they're all very, very worthy uh, candidates there. Just like you know, costume design—that's really tough too. You know, all, all of those are entirely worthy. I kind of think it'll go to Shape of Water, but it—it it wouldn't upset me to go to anybody there. You know, uh, right. the, the one thing that's really curious, though, I got to say this before I get it—is um, Soundtrack. Right. Uh, I am unclear entirely why John Williams is nominated for Last Jedi, uh, because in other awards, really, it's it's been John Williams for, um, oh gosh, the post, right? And when you listen to the post soundtrack, it's the post soundtrack. I mean, honestly, there's more innovation there. There's more fun there. There's more stuff going on in in the post. Uh, so I am curious why the Academy went this way because other academies have gone for John Williams with the post. There's no question John Williams should be in the mix this year. It's just odd the film that they chose him for. Um, right. So I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, just there's it's it's a pretty good field. It's just there are some places where it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you just lost your mind. Uh, but it's not, you know, it's nothing as, we'll see what the awards are like, but hopefully it won't be as bad an award ceremony as, oh, I don't know, something like a really weird year like 1983 where, good God, everything that 
you know, shouldn't have won, won, um, and things that should have won just barely got nominated. It's not as bad as that, um, but it's there are still some interesting categories where they've chosen some odd things, I think. I, I, <laughs> you know, the supporting actor thing, it would be fantastic, just fantastic, if Christopher Plummer won for all the money in the world. Because what he did is quite remarkable, especially for someone of his age, um, especially on short notice, uh, just coming in, completely reshooting parts done by Kevin Spacey, mm. um, you know, and, and kind of kudos to the director for even forcing that to happen because um, it was a massive inconvenience to everybody. And then, you know, the fallout from what happened because of that is interesting, though not really directly related to Christopher Plummer himself. But, you know, Christopher Plummer is the man. He's always been, from Sound of Music onwards, he's always been the man. You know, every time he steps in frame, you completely believe what his character is, and he, you know, it is it is hard to believe that this is the same actor that once played at Klingon, that once played, you know, the the, the head of the Von Trapp family. Um, he, he's got just an incredible range, and he can he can he's one of those old school actors that can kind of like, uh, um, oh good lord, I can't I forgot his name, uh, like uh, Alec Guinness who can kind of just step into a role and inhabit it quickly and totally, and you immerse yourself in it. And it's quite in contrast. And is, what's interesting is there's another example of this year, The Post. I, I, I was listening to NPR's um, Pop Culture Happy Hour, and they gave a review of The Post, and I thought they were spot on because this one guy on there said, um, at no time during The Post do you forget that you're watching Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. And that's so true. You do not. You you always know that you are watching those two guys, and you know. Luckily, that's a, an amiable enough activity, but it's not acting necessarily. It's not great acting. If you can still see Tom Hanks in there, there's a problem. And and, and of course, Tom Hanks is not always like that. There are many roles in which Tom Hanks is completely uh, submerged within the role, and you don't see him necessarily there. But I think in this one, you absolutely do. And um, Meryl Streep, too. Uncharacteristically, um, there is no creation so much as Meryl Streep being Meryl Streep. Um, right. So it's it's interesting uh, in this year to have some things like that and some things like Gary Oldman, where in Darkest Hour, I mean, he is Winston Churchill. There is just no question about that. And part of that's the... Makeup, and I hope that the makeup uh, guys that got nominated for that movie get the Oscar because it's just, oh, it's. And you look at that, and the sad thing is, Doctor Who fans, you look at that, and you just realize how inferior Ian McNeese was as William Churchill and Doctor Who. You know, you just look at this, and you're like, this is this guy, this Golden Gary Oldman guy. He's a master. He's a master. So, anyway. You do not that. argue with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't think I've not got the part. Uh, okay. Right. Um, yeah. Um, you've got visual effects. I, I, I'm always interested in technology. In the uh, last mm. couple of nights, with my Bluetooth headset, I've been listening on YouTube to Dolby Atmos tracks. These are ones that have been used oh, yeah. to Dolby Atmos, but you can listen with that standard stereo headphones. If you want to listen on speakers, you can't. 
unless you've got nine speakers around your room. But on a headphone set, you can. And um, what that brings to the... I haven't been into an atmos-enabled uh, cinema yet. I don't think. Ah. Oh. Um, yeah, but uh, fabulous. You know, you can hear the rain coming down and around the yeah. sound. Uh, it's making me think that the next TV might be one of these new uh, Sony ones with the um, with the acoustic surface because they will direct sound as well. So anyway, uh, yeah. Um, so Kyle, um, before we move on, uh, and by the way, anybody's wondering why we haven't heard from Mike recently. He's just had to come away from his microphone for a little while. Uh, Kyle, any 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 thoughts on the? Uh, is there anything you want to root for out of any of that? Are you guarding no, actually, I was guy? sitting here. Um, oh. I was sitting here just enjoying the conversation, uh, but very good insights. But no, I, I I don't really have anything that, like I said, I would have loved Wonder Woman to have been nominated for an Oscar. But outside of that, I'm like, you know, who wins? Who wins? Right, right, yeah. And as I say, uh, uh, I'm sure you can people can find with Google. But uh, the, the page I was looking at there was the uh, Variety.com Oscar nominations. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll try and find a way. Of, I've just finished watching all the Australian tennis, so I'm ready to watch a few more films. And um, before you came, Darth, we were, as I say, we were, we were covering some of the things that we're going to talk about in terms of, uh, in the show notes, we have the word Star Trek with a question mark. Because... Um, there were a few different Star Treks that are doing the rounds. Uh, are uh, Some people saying that real Star Trek isn't Star Trek, and other Star Trek is better Star Trek. Uh, but Mike wanted to talk about one in particular, which was um, Star Trek Discovery. So if we can just before that... Uh, now, Kyle, we've, did we just confirm with you... Um, I have watched the... Um, the Star Trek Discovery up to episode 12, and I've also, uh, and we couldn't do this before we started the recording, people are listening, because of the, the way people came in, uh, and uh, I've also watched um, the first episode of Series 4 of Black Mirror with the USS Callister uh, Star Trek parody, parody, but I haven't seen the Orville, so uh, where, where do you fit in all those? while we wait to see if Mike joins us back on audio. So I have seen Black Mirror's episode regarding, you know, the Star Trek spoof. I've seen Orville up to about right before the finale, so I'm like an episode or two behind, but I've seen all of Star Trek Discovery up to, you know, the one that's going to air tonight. Okay. Oh, is that, so you haven't seen uh, 12, have you not? You've not seen the final... Well, there's 15, I believe, but... The, the twelve was the last one I yeah, saw. Just... the one the one that airs today. Uh, you may you guys may have already seen it in the UK, yeah. but the the one that airs today um, I have not seen yet. Oh, right here. Uh, and and Darth, uh, where are you with those three? I'm trying to see work out the order in which we'll have a look at them. You see, um, I are you sure that. 12 hasn't already aired in the U.S.? I thought it had. Hold on. Now I'm confused. I'll tell you which one. I, let's see. But I, I'm with you, Kyle. I'm, I, obviously, it hasn't come on yet in the U.S. for today. But All I right. could have sworn that was 12 already. Uh, yeah, Vaulting Ambition, I have seen, yes. Uh, I have that seen that one last week. Hmm. 
the one that airs today is what's past his prologue, and then the last one is the war without the war within. Okay. So then that, yeah. wait, that means that we've actually seen through 13, right? Because if there's only two more, then 14, 15. Right? Yeah, so, so today is January 28th. Yeah, uh, today is episode 13. So yeah, oh, there's right. four, 14 episodes. Yeah, I don't see that. I've only uh, seen up to 12. Okay, so anyway, so yeah, so we're probably all in the same place on that. Yeah, I think uh, so. I don't know anything about Black Mirror. I'm not that. I, I don't like. Oddly, Dave, you may maybe it's odd about me. I don't really like the Twilight Zone, so I don't think things like the Twilight Zone, which is weird. Right, right. You know, otherwise Doctor Who is anthological, really. Um, so why don't I like Twilight Zone? I don't know. I just don't. I like characters. I guess I like to see characters grow over time. So, I, I think you would watch. If you can watch individual episodes of Black Mirror, I would say that you would get some wry enjoyment out of uh, mm. this USF Callister one. Yeah. Uh, it, <clears throat> well, let, I'll tell you what, because we want to give Mike a little bit of time. Do you just want to give us a little I, bit of an idea of... Go on. I'll say to you, you asked about the Orville. I have seen all the Orville. I don't like it, but I've seen it. Okay. Well, could you two guys just... Give and uh, we'll say for anybody listening now, there may be spoilers about uh, any of these three series from now on. That's why I wanted to get all the um, the sort of uh, news and other items out of the way. Kyle, do, do you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about Orville, and we'll, then we'll last start because I want I know Mike wants to be here for when we talk about Discovery at least. <clears throat> all right. So listening to people that I've talked to, it seems like everyone seems to be referring to the Orville as, well, are in two ways, not as, but in two ways. One, that it was a little bit unexpected to be less of a parody than what it was. And because Discovery is such a offshoot or a different interpretation so far of Star Trek classic, a lot of people that I've talked to are saying, oh, well, this is more reminiscent of classic Star Trek. And I think it just happened to have good timing. I don't think if if Star Trek Discovery was not out and you didn't have the rumblings and the good rumblings back and forth of, of this show, I think Star Trek, I mean, excuse me, Orville would have just gotten lost in the shuffle and may not would have survived, uh, you know, uh, a full season. So... That's my initial thoughts on Orville. Okay, and uh, and have you covered it in more depth on your own show? Mm, not really. Uh, I did uh, do one episode with Clarence on his show uh, that was a Star Trek, but I've actually not even uh, covered Orville on anything that I've done myself. Okay. Uh, Darth, uh, anything to recommend Orville to, to our listeners? Or um, is it, uh, you know... A, a show, uh, do it. I, you know, I too have seen and read reviews which suggest that people do like it. Some people do like it. Um, I don't understand where they're coming from. Personally, I've watched all of them, keeping in mind these reviews and thinking somewhere along the way this show is going to turn for me and I'm going to really, really like it. And it never gets there. And I, I think it's because. A, Seth MacFarlane is just not that good an actor. He should not 
really be the captain of the ship. I have no empathy for him. Uh, a lot of the storylines are set up uh, to revolve around him, obviously, as you do with sort of Star Trek-like shows. The captain is the one that gets uh, the lion's share of the narrative. But he just, in a, in a lot of ways, he's not up to the challenge, at least not in live acting. I find his performance very wooden. I think that a lot of the things where he's given, like, the punchline to deliver, I think he doesn't, for some reason, this great comic genius, does not hit it out of the ballpark. He just slightly misses it. I, I can't explain it. It's, it's such a... He's, he's. I mean, he's portrayed as being a, an act, uh, a uh, captain, well, an officer. Let's put it that way, who lost his way and become an in, became an inferior officer because of uh, his relationship with his wife deteriorating and him having to get a divorce, and that sort of, you know, set him down a path of lesser achievement. Let's put it that way. Uh, and then he's given a ship finally because the, you know, higher ups have so many ships that they've got to get captains for that eventually they have to start giving them out to people who are not really up to the task. Uh, and so they give him this sort of, you know, he doesn't have the flagship. He's not captaining the Enterprise or anything like that. Rather, it's it's more or less he's the captain of the Reliant. Let's put it that way. Um, and then... A first officer is forced on him, and that first officer happens to be the very wife who cheated on him and caused him to go into this downward spiral. And so a lot of the, the drama and indeed the comedy supposedly comes from bickering between him and his ex-wife uh, and them trying to figure out a working relationship and how that coexists along a personal relationship. And it's just too much. You know, it's it's like all the time. Are they, aren't they... What's going on with them? Are they mad at each other? Does Who's the winner in the argument? Who has the better point? It just all doesn't really matter to me because I, I'm not in, in, invested in the, in the characters because, frankly, neither of them are particularly great actors. And so they don't bring with them anything. And, and, and you know, it's fine to not be a great actor, but they're also not... Um, I guess memorable actors or actors who are quirky enough that you, you know, have to really pay attention to them, you know. Um, for instance, I don't think a lot of people would say Tom Baker is a great actor, but he is certainly a character. You know, he certainly is, for television, as soon as you see him, you want to keep watching him because he's really interesting, right? Neither of these two lead actors are particularly interesting. Very good point. Um, you know, and the other thing is, a lot of the scripts, because, and, you know, you lost me when Brandon Braga was one of the people who was an executive producer on this thing. It's like, why go back to that well? I mean, he's the guy that, in large measure, steered Star Trek on television off a cliff, you know. But for whatever reason, they brought him back, and, um, he, you know... Unfortunately, he's brought with him institutional memory of Star Trek. And so very, very many, if not all, of the episodes are simply retreads of older Star Trek stories. And the thing is, generally, the Star Trek story is better than the Orville story. Um, so, you know, why, why get invested in it? 
I mean, I keep honestly, I, I, I don't, I, n- I never want to be one of these people who's just like, I'm going to dismiss it after one episode because I want to, you know, figure it out and, and give it its fair due. But I still really haven't seen anything in it that is, you know, so funny that it's unmissable, so dramatic that it is memorable, or so unique that it makes me think I'm not watching Star Trek. Um, but the thing is, it's not Star Trek because of the because of the heavy parodic element. Uh, that's not even parody. It's so weird. Like a lot of it is really lowbrow uh, bathroom humor. Like sometimes literally bathroom humor. That's what uh, I was about to say. It's literally bathroom humor. Yeah, there really there really is, and then the, and then there's just a lot of sort of common humor that really doesn't have a lot of place or make a lot of sense um, where they try to bring modern that is to say 21st century concepts on board this ship in the future for instance um, Seth MacFarlane's character's desk is adorned with a Kermit the Frog Muppet puppet thing and it's not like it's not like like Kermit the Frog. It is Kermit the Frog, and it's explicitly referred to as Kermit. And there's like moments with it, and it's like, why are you trying to do this? Why are you trying to bring that in? And uh, you know, one of the uh, the navigator on the ship uh, has a condition where, like, a condition to his employment, not a medical condition, where he is uh, forced or. or compelled or whatever to bring a soda in a styrofoam cup like you get at McDonald's on board the bridge. Like he needs that to work. What? Why? What, I mean, what's the point? Why would, why would a replicator form that object? It doesn't even make any sense. You know? Um, and, and there's just sort of all sorts of things throughout that are kind of not my cup of tea. Just really, I, it's a kind of it's a kind of parody where, like, to me, parody is Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles. And I'm not saying Mel Brooks necessarily, but it's stuff where you take it absolutely seriously. You deliver your lines with complete precision and deadpan, and it's up to the audience not to laugh. It's not up to you to almost break the fourth wall. And I think Seth MacFarlane, in many cases is slightly smirking, and it's like, no, what are you doing? This is crazy. I'm sorry, I stepped over you, Kyle. There. Okay, so 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 I, I've been thinking something while I was listening to the comments that you made, and, and, and I want to pose a, a hypothesis here. So if the Orville were animated, I wonder if some of the things that you just mentioned would work where they don't in live action because I'm agreeing with every point that you're making. But but I'm while I'm hearing you make them, I'm picturing in my head, I'm seeing Peter Griffin or a different version of Peter Griffin with a uh, with you know a Kermit on his desk. That to me would be funny. But but seeing it with a live person may not necessarily so. And seeing a replicator cup, uh, you know. Uh, a replicator, then walk up and it come up with a McDonald's styrofoam cup. Maybe might be more funny animated than it would be in live action. Maybe 
uh, McFarlane knows how to write anime, uh, you know, animated because that's what he's done. And it's just not translating as well into real life. It's, it's, I think it's a really good point. That, is, it, is it Red Dwarf where they had a talking toaster or something? It's along one of those sort of lines. Um, we've got Mike back on audio. We're just uh, we've we've given a spoiler warning, Mike. We're we're talking about uh, um, <laughs> uh, oh cracky uh, Orville, uh, which I haven't seen, but the the two guys have. Do you want to jump in at this point on this one? Main reason I never started watching Orville is Seth MacFarlane. It's a Seth MacFarlane show, and I'm not really a fan of. Family Guy or Cleveland Show or American Dad, and it just seemed, based on what I've read and seen about Orville, it just seemed, you know, Seth MacFarlane's uh, style humor. If you're a fan of MacFarlane, I guess you'd like that, but if not, it's 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 really whether or not you're a fan of MacFarlane is how the the comedy in that is, and I just never really got interested. I mean, I think he's fabulous with his voices on the Graham Norton show. I've seen him do him jumping from voice to voice to voice. That's marvelous. But, I mean, I don't want to do the guy a disservice, but to me, when I see his face and, and Darth says about his acting, he looks to me as though he's got a, bo- a Botox forehead uh, and it, it can't show any expressions. Um, Which, um, the whole thing with McFarland is, you know, it's, it, he's, a, he's a long-time Star Trek fan. He's, he's wanted yeah. to be on Star Trek. He even had a cameo appearance on an episode of uh, Enterprise as just some uh, crew member on some lower deck of the ship. I think he may have had one spoken line, and that's where he recognized his voice. But uh, for him to do a Star Trek-style show is entirely in line with just his his whole style. So, no. And, and, you know, the other thing that's interesting about the way that he scripts these shows, and he's not writing every script, but nevertheless he is sort of, I think he's effectively the head of the writer's room or, you know, because he's an exec producer has some control over it is that they are very formulaic. Like you can pretty much time it. Maybe not the first couple of episodes because he's trying to establish stuff, but after it gets established, it's more or less first 20 minutes is, uh, you know, some light humor and character moments. And then the introduction of the problem and then, you know, you come back and after the commercial break and now you're uh, sort of moving into a mix of um, silly humor and the threat is finally revealed. And after that next break, then for that sort of third act and maybe going into the beginning of the fourth act, it's all very serious. So it's very formulated, you know, it's comic, then comic and drama mixed, and then it's drama, and then your denouement is, you know, kind of like you always did on the original series, where you have this moment where you go out on kind of a light note, more or less. Um, but it's uh, that's not that's not satisfying. It's like watching old episodes of Emergency or other shows where a definite pattern was established, and you're like, oh well, this is where we are in the story. So now now I'm supposed to believe that this guy is fully in charge and he's in command and He's, you know, uh, figuring out the problem in a serious way when I've just seen him be thoroughly incompetent before. You know, the, the character's therefore wildly inconsistent, I think. Um, and, and on top of that, 
the plots are recycled from the old show, so you're like not even engaged by that, really. But maybe it's going down better with those people who don't uh, wouldn't consider themselves to be, you know, uh, science fiction fans. Or maybe, the, yeah, maybe, yeah, right, maybe, yeah. maybe people coming from the although you you always say to us. Uh, you know, drama and comedy are, are what interests you. That got you to a lot right. of British TV rather than actual yeah. science fiction. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't, but I don't, you know, I don't find it to be even good parody. That's the problem for me. Like, right. if it were a good parody, I'd be along with it. But it's not because it's not, it's not parody throughout. It's like there are moments where you're supposed to believe it's a parody and there are moments where you're supposed to believe in the true drama of the situation. And it's the same characters. And it's like, for some reason... A, a flip switches from, you know, an omniscient narrator somewhere off screen, and all of a sudden these characters are being utilized in a totally different way. It's very bizarre. It's very odd. And then on top of that, the, um, you know, inevitable comparison is going to be drawn to Discovery, and I suppose I'll talk about Discovery here in a minute, but the, the one thing, no matter what you believe about Discovery, the one thing you have to believe about Discovery is that it's uh, SFX is impeccable. Like, his visual effects are just movie quality. They are without error as far as I'm able to determine. And uh, when you compare them to uh, the Orville, it's just it's night and day. I mean, the Orville looks like it is an HD version of Next Gen, which I think is what they're going for, really. You know, very bright, very white. But yet you can still, because it's so white and so bright, you know, there there are many points at which you can see sort of errors in the, you know, where the, where a ship abuts space or whatever. You can, it, it doesn't look real. It looks very fabricated, uh, which is not the case with Discovery at all. Discovery feels like a, a lived-in universe, uh, and it's, it's just magnificent. Uh, so it's, it's really hard for me to take uh, or- Orville seriously, either as a parody or a drama, or as a science fiction vehicle, because none of it, it doesn't hit any of it quite right. It's like just a little bit off. Okay. Well, look, uh, Ali, you have mentioned Star Trek Discovery. Let's let's just very briefly uh, talk about this uh, one dark mirror one, because I think we'll have more to say about the Star Trek Discovery, because it is um, uh, Black Mirror. Let me just uh, mention this is, uh, here in the UK at least, it's shown exclusively on uh, Netflix, uh, maybe um, uh, Amazon or uh, uh, wherever it is in the States, I'm sure somebody will be able to uh, put that information in. Uh, and it's actually the first uh, story in Series 4. Uh, there's only usually about five or six stories in each season, and uh, um, it's called USS Callister. I've got a, a brief uh, clip of that, so I'll play that. Uh, and it doesn't really... Uh, spoil it because it only shows one aspect in this but we'll we'll play it's only about uh, 30 seconds long Lieutenant Cole welcome aboard crew we have a new member of the team we meet again Captain Daly what's that (laughs) Jesus Space fleet never turns its back on those who need our help. Three cheers, sir. Captain Daly. Hip, hip. Hooray! Hooray! 
Now, we're on spoilers here. That is the most misleading trailer you'll ever hear. Uh, because, um, first of all, uh, the storyline is about a, a, com a computer company that are, have this uh, space uh, world um, and it's approaching a lot of work that's been done on the actual um, uh, new Christmas upgrade that they're going to be rolling out. But the, there are two men that run this company, and the actual genius uh, person who's programmed this uh, program is a, a sort of uh, mild-mannered and seems to be very um, uh, underused and sub uh, subservient to the money man in the group who seems to have taken over control and he seems to be the nasty character and we, we see the workaday office where they're, where they're getting on with a, a new development. This, this lead computer who actually plays Captain Robert Daly um, when he goes home to his room at night, he has a separate sandbox version of this software that he created and in this sandbox version, and I've said spoilers already, um, he has taken DNA of different members that work in the firm and created sort of avatars, if you will, but basically conscious avatars, and they are in his bubble. So his, this is a little... And in it, he plays the captain of this Star Trek-type uh, ruled world. In other words, you know, we go and save people, you know... Uh, the, there's no sex on board, there's no this, lots of very bad language, by the way, but basically the people on the ship seem to revere the captain, but it's only when this new person comes aboard that uh, they realise that they do so because he can uh, control and manipulate anything within this digital world, and he can do very much like, uh, you heard Darth mention the Twilight Zone, very much like an episode of Twilight Zone, uh, uh, called It's a Good Life, uh, where we had the uh, the Billy Mummy uh, character uh, who could control people. Uh, they actually um, have to obey what he says because he he can you know he can take their mouths away, he can change them into weird creatures and whatever. But he goes into there, and in this world, he's the master of his domain, and they go on these missions. Uh, but they are actually remember their real lives because when this girl comes aboard they ask how their real person is doing they know they are duplicates it so happens that this girl that comes in is is a new senior programmer and is almost as smart as the guy and i won't say anything more than that in terms of how it progresses but basically uh, she's the one that tries to rally the others into escaping from this this nightmare uh Mike, are you up for talking now? Do you want to give us your take on, on this? Don't forget, Black, Black Mirror to people, each story is a standalone story, as it were, in the sort of Twilight Zone type of updated uh, view of things. Mike? Yeah, so this episode was leading up to uh, this new series of Black Mirror. This was on the list of the episodes that I was looking forward to most, and as you said there, just how the, the the episode was completely different from what the trailer led you to believe. I I was I remember just trying to you know speculating like where where they be going with this episode because it's given the usual style of Black Mirror. This on the on the face of the trailer, 
it's completely different from anything Black Mirror does because Black Mirror is generally set modern day and is generally commentary. Well, modern day or or just distant future. And it's about like advances of technology, social media, stuff like that. Like how a certain technology will, 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 will advance and effects it would have on society. Um, this and and this episode, the the main technologies that it touches on are MMORPGs and this device that the that this guy has that lets him use DNA samples from people to create AI based on them. And that's the thing that that's a bit, bit of a stretch. I'm not sure what, what that could. Then there, there might be some technologies being planned right now and in, in development right now that might be based on that but that seems a bit far-fetched even for black mirror standards so just just in in the style of the show that seems a bit out there even for black mirror but um but the story itself was uh you know going into like going from the view of a parody of Star Trek, or just commentary on—not even parody, but commentary on Star Trek—but which it did a lot of. Had this this space fleet or whatever. I can't remember the the, the exact name of the, the 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 show, the whole franchise that was referenced with that. But and mm. the the whole like the the code like the 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 behavioral code that was mentioned it's like the, the characters are have to abide by the space fleet code and their avatars have even been edited such such that they have to abide by them that was uh, yeah, they, interesting. they've no, they've no Clearly, they've got no genitalia. Yeah, basic, yeah, because that's you know, because the show is that it's based on is family friendly, which which is such which which is a neat dichotomy with the show itself, Black Mirror itself, it, which is definitely not which is the exact opposite of family friendly television. Um, but one thing I have read, there have been a lot of one popular reaction to this episode is. This call for oh, this should be its own spinoff series, and even the director of this episode, Toby Haynes, I think it was, has even expressed interest in doing a spinoff series based on this episode of Black Mirror. Uh, his, his comment in an interview was, "This is one of the best uh, pilots, backdoor pilots for a TV for a sci-fi space-based series that he's ever done that he's ever seen." And of course, well, he's he was the director of this episode so that's kind of uh kind of uh, biased there but uh i don't know it's been a series of this that's uh, there's only so far you can go with this even with the the cliff even given the cliffhanger well i say cliffhanger but the the resolution of this episode even given the, the direction the show the episode goes in at the end there's not much you could do with that before it becomes repetitive i don't know well, it's it's a, it's a very limited limited idea Two things I would say. I mean, uh, uh, I wonder whether he's re- referencing Clara and me going off in their own TARDIS as a spin off. But um, the last three words I thought might be the future title of any new episode uh, series. I won't repeat them because it's right at the end, but um, it's a quote that they have right at the end. Uh, we won't stay on this too long, Darth. We will go to Star Trek Discovery soon. But, Kyle, do you want to mention anything on this? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this about it. You know, I'm, I'm like what you guys were saying. I was not expecting it. You know, I thought it was going to be a farce uh, of an episode, kind of a true parody that Orville was not. So I was not expecting what I was seeing. And, 
you know, going a little dark maybe on myself here at the beginning of the episode, I was like, oh, cool, because I would play this game and I would kind of do this to some people. And then it got toward the resolution and I'm like, hmm, maybe I wouldn't. So uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, I I think it was interesting. I mean, it was one of the more enjoyable black member, I mean, excuse me, black uh, mirror episodes that I've seen in quite a while. So that's my take. Yeah, yeah I'll just say that the, the guy who plays the captain, he was actually one of the actors in Breaking Bad, um, uh, Jesse Flemons. I'm not sure how he played. He played Todd in Breaking Bad, where he was a real um, psychotic character in that. And here, those skills are brought to bear because on the one hand, he's sort of, you know, a little bit, you know, in the naivety and the childlike way of the good life, uh, when they're when they're all playing ball with him and doing what what he says, you know, he's like a kid playing an adventure game uh, with no knowledge of adult life, as it were. Uh, but then there's this complete dark side to it. I mean, uh, some of the ways he manipulates the people to do what he asks them. But um, the 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 graphics are excellent. I mean, there's this one person who changes into this sort of monster. Um, and uh, down on the the planet's surface, this monster it looks in full 3D form and uh, looks very well realised. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think Darth, if you can, it's only about 40. No, it's about an hour long, isn't it? Uh, if you can catch it, uh, give it a try. But you're watching the first. The first, what's what's quite neat about it is they play with the aspect ratio as well. The first part you go into, which is an artificial environment, but you don't know that, is in 4 by 3 aspect. Then they switch to full frame when they're in the office, and then this upgrade comes along and it goes back into full frame again. So um, the, it, the production values, uh, say it's just a one-off, seem to me to be um, uh, very, very good indeed. Um, just to give you an idea of uh, the, um, very quickly, the um, uh, Twilight Zone... Um, um, one uh, good life is very little clip of that which you got some of the sense of this in the movie in the the Black Mirror one. No kids came over to play with me today, not a single one. And I wanted someone to play with. Well, Anthony, you remember the last time some kids came over to play? The little Fredericks boy and his sister. I had a real good time. Oh, sure you did. You had a real good time, and it's. Good that you have a good time. It's real good. It's uh, just that. Just that what? Well, Anthony, you uh, you wish them away into the cornfield. The mummy and daddy were real upset. About what? Okay, we'll leave it there. I did put a couple of links in, uh, Darth. I don't think you can get, but the 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 next for the last one I put in there shows them in in their costume. Uh, in the actual, uh, you know, control room of the uh, the thing. So that's right. Okay. Um, who wants to go? Kyle, do you want to go first and talk a little bit about Star Trek Discovery? Are we going up to as far as episode 12? Um, again, spoilers for those people who haven't seen it. Uh, you may want to feature more on what's happened in the this sort of switcheroo. Uh, maybe if I just mention that, that... Um, uh, a lot of people were saying that this seems very advanced with this spore drive and all that for a 
time a story in the Star Trek universe that supposedly, you know, before or after the time of Archer, but before or around the time of Captain Pike, uh, and yet they seem uh, very much sophisticated in terms of the way they can beam, uh, you know, um, holograms across to other ships and um, some of the things, and actually the fact that this ship itself can go instantaneously. But in this, we had a short break over Christmas. In this second part of um, what is just 12 episodes, um, we have a um, an event that takes them into a completely different um, other other reality, which of course has been used before in Star Trek. So I don't know where you want to focus your attention on the last three or four episodes or not, Kyle. Okay, so, well, let me say this. Um, I've always been a Star Trek fan ever since the... Um, Next Generation, that was kind of my introduction. I knew Star Trek before that, but that was where I think I became a fan because I grew up watching Star Wars, the movies, and, you know, never really had any um, connection to Star Trek before The Next Generation. So having said that, having seen all the Star Trek uh, television series, I watched them, I enjoyed them, you know, I was a fan of them. However, this was the first Star Trek series that I think that I have actually anticipated seeing the next episode. And then when I see the next episode, I'm not knowing what to expect or I'm being totally shocked at what I'm about to see. For me, I think that's good for Star Trek. I think it's good that it's pushing boundaries, that it's never, it's gone places where no, Star Trek has gone before and for you know for that um you know I obviously really really like it and um I like the characters I have been told by uh Clarence uh before that um you know I need to listen to him more in regard to some of the uh opinions that I developed because at the beginning I could not stand the character of Tilly and the more I've watched it, the more now it's like, oh, yeah, cool. I like Tilly. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a really good show. It's a really good interpretation, in my opinion, of Star Trek. And I'm curious to see where the last two episodes go. Right. So as far as you're concerned, there's not a controversy. Oh, uh, no, not at all. I think it's a it's a fantastic show. Okay. Uh, Mike, do you want to mention yeah, a few things? Leading, leading into this, I remember all the like all the discussion among fans about the technology and the, presented in this show and just the way sets were designed and how out of place they looked with the original Star Trek. And my reaction to that is that you can't really do that technology design, that set design, that costume design, just the whole... Uh, visual aesthetic of the original series on a modern day show and expect to be taken seriously. So updating it to this modern look all fits it in line with the Abrams movies and just makes it more appealing to a modern audience. So I completely set that aside and take take the show for what it is, take the show on its own, on it on its own merit. And I no longer really have a problem with the visual aesthetic of Discovery. And it's it's 
it, it, it's even I think it's referenced once once or twice in the show by the, how this discovery is the most is, is it's an experimental ship by Starfleet so it's one of the most technologically advanced ships so it makes sense in storyline but uh, in terms of the show itself um, it took a while for it to really get rolling which um, this is this is a whole thing about how television is produced nowadays as opposed to back when Star Trek was last on the air. Uh, even with, even though it was kind of going this way with the end of Enterprise, but definitely with uh, Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and Voyager, when shows had time to develop, had more time to develop, they could spend a season or two or three finding their feet, finding their, their direction. You know, Next Generation had time to for, for the show to grow its beard, as it were. Uh, this modern day television, it's much, much faster paced. You can't really do that. You can't really take us two or three seasons to figure out where you're going. If you, the way audiences are nowadays, if you don't really hit it on the first try, first or second try, then you're, then you don't really have a chance. So the first two or three episodes are maybe a bit slow, but then it's, it's just introducing the, the, it's introducing the story in a different way than other Star Trek series. And it's already off the bat more serialized. And this is, I guess, really the first Star Trek series to be this heavily serialized right off the bat. Enterprise, I guess, was was a bit Deep Space Nine got there in the end, but not in the beginning. First three or four seasons not serialized. This one, it's I think we've had one episode that can really be considered standalone, and that was the uh, the titles. See, that's another thing they do on the show. They don't show the titles of the episodes in the episodes like they do on other series. So I think the episode of this one, the title is magic to make the most sane man go mad. The, the second one with our second, which is one of the mud episodes, but that's really the only one that could be considered a standalone episode. The rest of these are serialized and that works the show's favor because you, you get to know the, these characters, you get to know these characters, how they, how they connect to each other, how they react and just this whole story that's building and again, this is this is this is this is a this is a throwaway line in that episode, the magic episode, with uh, Mud addressing the the nameless the nameless uh, bridge crew member. How that we have even at this point in the show, we have bridge crew members who we see a lot, but we don't know their names. Like there's one crew member that we've seen on the bridge almost every episode, but we and we've seen her in the uh, the new the new setting where the, where the show is now the Muir universe. And we still don't know her name. She seems to be important, but we don't even know that character's name. And it's a bit odd because comparing to other Trek series. But for what this is, it's it's a modern-day version of Star Trek. It goes along with how TV is produced, themes on TV nowadays, just themes reflecting the world today as opposed to, say, the 90s. And I've heard references to the visual effects, as you would expect nowadays. This is just... And a, a visually impressive show. The, the special effects on this, the music—it's just amazing, just all the way through. The just the the, the shots of the the ship entering uh, the spore drive jumps to just the the space effects. The uh, the that tardigrade that we had earlier in in the series—that was it was all really well done. And the now that the writers have their, they know where they're going. Um, it's. I, I can't wait to see. Of course, we've got this is episode thirteen, twelve, episode thirteen tonight, and what was it? Uh, Discovery episodes. 
I think it was 15 episodes total this first this first season. Uh, let me bring that up here. Uh, uh, 14. 14. No, no. 15. Well, it depends. It depends on how you count. Over. They're carrying one over, aren't they, to the next season? I think. No. Well, it depends on how you count. I'm looking at the the episode list here on Wikipedia. Take Wikipedia but for what it saying, is. You're, are you, you're saying Discovery, right? Discovery, yeah. Uh, this first yeah, season. there's uh, two 15. more left. Yeah. It, yeah, it depends on how you count that first episode. Because that first episode was how they did that. The first episode aired on terrestrial TV. And, of course, the rest of it is behind here in the States. On CBS All Access. Elsewhere, it's on Netflix. But that first episode was really kind of a two-hour event, just split up into two episodes. So you know, however you count that. Um, but yeah, 15 ep- tonight's episode is what's past the prologue. Then we have two more episodes after this. Uh, February 11th is the season one finale. Season two has been confirmed. It's all. I, I don't know when it's entering production, but um, yeah, going into this, this. I just remember all the like all the behind the scenes stuff like the original uh uh Mar- Brian Fuller uh I think he he stepped away at some point so he was he was a, the original showrunner but he's he's either stepped away or was let go or something happened and he was no longer involved with the show other projects he was working on and it's sort it's sort of gone on without him but it's I I went into this sort of skeptical that okay uh, I don't know just take this on its own and it's I I, I been happy with what's been going on, just the way they've been developing the show, and just the way the way they've hidden Easter eggs not not just Easter eggs, but for let me rephrase that foreshadowing future plot revelations. And this is something where if you go into the the like the the discussion among fans, this the show suffered uh, like a, a Westworld syndrome. I've not seen Westworld, but I've no I know, I've known enough that there was West Westworld had several major plot events that were so heavily discussed and anticipated by fans and just predicted by fans that they ruined the impact when they were revealed. And there were several plot revelations here that were just from like episode two or three were predicted by fans, just looking at cast credits or looking at things that happen on the, on the, on the show realized, Oh, I bet that's what's going to happen with that one character, or I bet that's what's going on with that other character. And it was so heavily discussed that when it happened on screen, it was like, it didn't have the same impact. It lost a lot of that because, Oh, I already knew that was going to happen. And, uh, trying to keep spoiler free, but I'm talking about the, uh, of course the, the Tyler character and Lor- and Lorca, what we re- learn about those characters were both, predicted mainly because with 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 Tyler it was because of the cast the cast list people noticed a certain thing with the the Valk character um but yeah I've been happy with this it's 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 a different style of Star Trek it's not it's closest to Deep Space 9 in terms of you know dark grim storytelling but it it's an enjoyable show and I've been pleased to see where it's gone thanks uh, Darth your thoughts You put him to sleep. <laughs> uh, he's, no, he's probably muted. Um, he was muted, indeed. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm kind of astounded by this show, to be honest with you. Um, and I, I find the... Um, uh, weird, because there, this is a divisive show, right? Among fans, among people who... among. Reviewers, it is less divisive among reviewers. I mean, one thing we got to say that is interesting to note about the reaction to both this and Orville is that they are naturally of a 
peace, kind of. Um, which is to say that most people who have an opinion about one have an opinion about the other, they come at it roughly the same time, so a natural sort of uh, comparison has risen. And what's fascinating, if you look, go onto Rotten Tomatoes, is that you see that this show has a very high rating among critics, but a very low rating among uh, just average users of that site, whereas the reverse is true of Orville. I mean, it's not reverse in the same magnitude, which is to say more people, more critics really hate the Orville. Like, it's only got down in the teens in, in terms of its Rotten Tomato rating, um, whereas the uh, um, it, it's not quite that bad in terms of the fans or the user base that dislikes Discovery, if that makes sense. I think the Discovery user rating is something like 40, 30 or 40, somewhere in there, whereas it's the critical uh, mass on the other show is in the teens. So, you know, it's not quite reverse, but it's you know, the basic nature of it is that critics like Discovery and users like uh, the Orville. But I got to say, I don't really understand a lot of the criticism that surrounds this show. And most of the criticism that was done, you need to be very careful about when you watch it because it typically is of people who've only watched the first few episodes. And I think that this is a show that, quite unlike most shows, but maybe most similarly to Parks and Recreation, I'll throw that out there as an odd comparison, um, is a show that as you go on and as you get more information, the more you like it, right? It has a sort of a, uh, an, an accretive effect or a snowball effect. Um, and by the time you get to 12 or 13, wherever we are right now, and this massive revelation that occurs, which I'm not, I don't think anybody has actually blown yet on this podcast, so I'm not going to blow it either. But nevertheless, once you get to this massive thing that happens deep in the season, I found that my jaw actually literally dropped, and I could not believe what had happened. But then once it sunk in, I was like, that is so perfect. That is one of the best things that's ever happened on Star Trek, I think. Um I, you know, and I like to start out by saying, well, start. I've been in 10 minutes. But to understand where I'm coming from, I am not – I've seen every episode of Star Trek, but that does not necessarily make me a Star Trek fan. It just makes me somebody interested in um, how this particular kind of thing is told, and there's not any, that much else on TV that's like it. Um I am a positive fan of Deep Space Nine, so I'm maybe more naturally aligned to this kind of storytelling. Um, but this is, to my mind, heads and shoulders above Next Gen, which I really don't like that much. Uh, certainly, therefore, it is also Voyager, because Voyager is just a remake of Next Gen. I mean, there's no way to look at that any other way. Um, and I think it does sort of, it does literally tie into Enterprise, you know, because Enterprise happened before it. I'm a little bit surprised that there haven't been, especially given the subject matter of these last few weeks, I'm a little surprised there isn't a more explicit reference to um, Enterprise, though I guess there sort of is. Yeah, I'm really talking around a subject I don't want to blow. Um, I'll check out some mention. That's about it, isn't it? 
Does he? I, that's not yeah. the mention that I would have thought would have been more natural to make in the circumstances that have unfolded. Um, but at any rate, it is tied in to Enterprise. And it, I, you know, I'm not really bothered at all by the the visual metaphors not being quite the same as they are in the original series, and yet this predates the original series. I am perfectly prepared to believe at some point along the way that they just got a designer that came into Starfleet Engineering and said, hey, we're going to do throwback to Apple software. And we're going to make it all colorful, and we're going to make it, you know, just simple buttons, and, uh, you know, we're going to change up from these heads-up tactical displays that have all this information just streaming off of it, and we're going to make it much more simpler than that. And then, you know, for a generation, they went with this design that was kind of a throwback. And then they said, this is stupid. We want all the tactical displays back. We don't like these ships. And so that the Constitution class uh, sort of faded out as a thing. It was, they tried it for a little while. A lot of the Constitution class got destroyed anyway. And then when they went to rebuild things, they said, you know, they did a retrofit, right, on the Enterprise. And so that's what you see in motion picture and, you know, they're from. And it's much more heads-up tackle display, much closer to what you're seeing in Discovery and what you saw in Enterprise. And so there was just this little blip, you know, for about, you know, five to ten years where they went with this Constitution class and they made it all a totally different operating system and design paradigm, and then they said, that was a bad idea. Let's go back to what we were using before. I can I can go with that, so it doesn't matter to me that it doesn't look quite the same. What is consistent to me, though, and what I love about Discovery is you know, you are sort of talking here about a time in the relationship between the Klingons and the Federation where they know each other, but they don't know each other very well, um, and where a meeting between them is described as extraordinary. And, you know, you have the possibility for there to be, um, amongst the Klingon ranks, uh you know, leaders who rise up and who say any kind of contact with the Federation is bad and it will pollute us and it will make us less than what we are, because you see that echo later, right? I mean, this is explicitly, explicitly the point of Star Trek VI, right? You know, mm-hmm. they, they have to be in alliance with the Federation, but they don't want to be in an alliance with the Federation. And those feelings even continue on into, like, the first season of Next Generation, where you have, finally, after 20 episodes of terrible Star Trek, you finally have this Heart of Glory episode uh, where Worf comes to the fore, Worf meets people who are, meets Klingons who are from this sort of era that we're talking about really in Discovery, um, where they don't like humans because they believe that humans are going to pollute them, they believe that there's no such thing as an alliance with the Federation, it doesn't make any sense, it's crazy. Um, And so I think that Discovery does fit into the timeline of uh, sort of the Federation Klingon relationship, and and it brings it forward in a very detailed and uh, satisfactory way. In this whole business of what's going on with Valk, what's going on with Tyler, that all makes sense given other episodes of the original series where I'm not going to give it away, but we see things happening that are of a similar nature, and this thing that happens is something that. If you don't like it and you think it doesn't make any sense, it's just because you don't know your starter history. 
and you really should have seen it. You're mad at yourself for not seeing it because you should have seen it. Totally, totally Star Trek. It makes absolute sense. There's all sorts of stuff behind it. But the thing I really, really like about this series is the, is the star character. I love the fact that you have this notion of a mutineer who gets put away for doing what is morally the right thing but not legally the right thing. And it fits right in with the Kirk story. She is Kirk, and yet at the same time she's really Spock, if that makes any sense at all. And it will make sense if you see the series. Um, she's reverse Spock, right? Which, first of all, that's a cool idea. Um, I love this notion of her being the inverse of Spock. I just, you know, I, I know a lot of fans are up in arms. Oh, how could there possibly be this person who's related to Spock? We never heard about it. If there was a sister to Spock, we would have known this. Mm, maybe you wouldn't have. Really? Maybe you wouldn't have. And the way that they've done it makes perfect sense why you wouldn't have. Right? And this exploration of Sarek and Amanda that's going on is something that you could only do with Michael Burnham. And it and it amplifies and it definitely um improves what I think is one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever, Journey to Babel, right? With that that classic thing where we first meet Sarek and we first meet Amanda and you know, you don't understand the relationship between Sarek and, and Spock and why is Spock being so cold and logical, why is he not doing what his mother wants him to do? Because we get now this amplification of what happens if the child is human and not, you know, uh, Vulcan, you get this greater amplification of that whole storyline and what who Sarek is, what Sarek is about. Is Sarek always right or is he flawed? It's just glorious. It's really quite, quite glorious. Uh, and since Vulcans have always been kind of my favorite thing about Star Trek, I, I'm all about uh, exploring Sarek more, exploring especially Amanda. I mean, Amanda doesn't get a lot to do, but what she gets to do so far has been quite interesting, revelatory, um, and y you get to see the human side of Amanda in a way that is kind of a an add-on extra in the Spock storyline, but here is much more central. And I love that. And I love I, I love the story, the love story, right? The love story of Michael Burnham and Tyler is gorgeous. And at the same time, well, I'm not going to say, it is gorgeous. Uh, and a lot of that is because this actor, Sneakwell Martin-Jones, she is amazing. And I have seen some reviews that say that she's boring, that she's, uh, you know, placid. And I'm like, no, she's doing something for Vulcan society that could not have been done by Leonard Nimoy. And it is equal to the Leonard Nimoy acting challenge and output in that she is so subtly coming to terms with her human side, but she's coming from Vulcan to human rather than from human to Vulcan. Right, she's going in the opposite direction, and it and it amplifies what it means to be Vulcan, and it definitely shows us what the value of being human is. And it, honestly, the relationship between her and Tilly could not be more perfect. I mean, the, the Tilly providing her with this this glorious sort of entree into humanity, like she's the most human human. I the one criticism I'll have is I still do not get why Tilly is a cadet, why she's on this ship is. Uh, why, do, why is the cadet on a ship anyway? This is not how Starfleet Academy works. 
even in even in I don't know, I have to go back and look at Star Trek two thousand nine, but I think even when those guys were called up in an emergency, didn't they automatically become ensigns? I I don't know. The the whole cadet thing kinda bothers me and, and the responsibilities that the you know, captain of the ship, no matter who that captain might be, plays in Tilly is just kinda crazy. Um and it, for for her level of seniority or really not seniority. Um but nevertheless in terms of character relationships, she couldn't be better. Uh, it's just she's just this big ball of humanity who draws it right out of uh, Michael Burnham and informs Michael Burnham's um, romantic journey, which I think is one of the most interesting things that's ever happened on on Star Trek. I mean, this is a much better. I, 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 the only romantic journey that I think is maybe better than this is maybe. What Worf and Jadzia, and I don't know if that's necessarily better. It's just interesting and different, right? Uh, but this is this this slow burn, this revelation of what's going on is so both in terms of you know how can she open herself up without losing the best parts of what it means to be Vulcan? Um, how can she trust this person? How can he trust her? Uh, from week to week, and I agree with Kyle that the, one of the glories about this show is that you are forced to watch it week to week. You don't have any shortcuts. CBS does not allow you that. You don't get it. You might get like a 15-minute head start on the episode, but that's about it. Um, and and that that be, that, that uh, being forced to watch it like regular TV, like oh, like original Star Trek, um, or but more than Star Trek. Any other serialized sort of fiction, you know, Breaking Bad or whatever, where you were forced to watch it week to week, is so um, so great for the exploration of the central character and her problems um, that if you're not absolutely on her side, if you're not in, endeared to her, I think that you've got a heart of stone, and I think, I mean, her her performance is so subtle, so right on, and yet it is absolutely capable of bringing you great emotion, just like Leonard Nimoy's was. But re- again, reverse to that. Um, but the subtlety of the performance is is so amazing, extraordinary to watch. You just, I got to know. I got to know what's happening with this character. I got to know: is she going to fall in love? Is she not going to fall in love? Is this a bad guy? Is this a good guy? Is she good? Is she bad? Does she have a strength within her? Is she really a mutineer? You know, how does why is she able not to get away with doing kind of sort of what Kirk does in Star Trek 2009? I mean, she is just as insubordinate, except I guess she did, you know, actually assault her commanding officer, which I guess Kirk did never do. But still, it is now, what what she goes through is worth the price of the mission. I mean, honestly, if there's nothing else in this story but just watching Michael Burnham, it's still a great ride. And well, then this whole thing with the alternate universe is just fantastic. Yeah, well, let me come in here. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, I can't pronounce the first name, Martin Green. Sequ- Sinequa. Uh, uh, Sinequa. I think she's fabulous. 
you can't yeah. take your eyes off it. She she is the main reason that I've continued to watch it with some doubts. Um, the other reason was that the, the, it had me hooked from the opening credits. Uh, you get annoyed with uh, Netflix. The opening credits come on and a little thing comes in the corner saying skip intro. I don't want to skip intro to watch this. <laughs> I love the opening credits. Because uh, the, 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 the thing is, you, you've got to watch that on a high quality screen. Because a, a lot of these credits now on some of these new series, they only make sense if you can if they're pin sharp. I mean, some of those opening up little orchidy type things that you see in the and the schematics of the gun. The only thing I don't quite like is where the two fingers touch, a la the uh, the Sistine Chapley type thing. Um, I mean, that's been overused a lot. And I love it where the 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 original Star Trek fanfare comes in as the the ship. Uh, cuts through the credits uh but um yeah no that that actress um uh well she's mesmerizing i think uh i can't mm-hmm. think of a better word than that really um she is um i was quite a bit unsure about jason jason isaac's portrayal of the uh, gabriel lorca but as the story progresses that has more resonance and more reason. I love actually the Doug Jones actor who plays Saru. I think he has a beautiful, uh, uh, it's his voice that's so calming or whatever, and yet seems learned and, uh, and, and yet has this deference about him as well. So he, yeah. he's a very well realized character. Uh, at the Ash Tyler character, we know is complex. Um, he, he looks more of a, somebody out of Star Wars and Star Trek, really, the way he's uh, portraying his part. Well, he reminds me of actually Imrex, a character on um, Star Trek Team animated series. Ah, really? There's, there's, a, there's a certain similarity. I think Imrex has more hands, but the basic face structure kind of reminds me of that. Right. I mean, Imrex is heart- not a Kelpian. Kelpian is definitely a you know, novel to discovery series, but still there's some similarity. The, the Anthony Rapp character, Paul, I found the most difficult to like, because he had a slightly abrasive character in the beginning and, um, uh, and you felt as though he had uh, some trust issues or many, he, he gets uh, not very well served by the captain doing all these 132 jumps or whatever it is. And, um, you know, the captain is not beyond, uh, you know, uh, if if the engine door needs sealing, but you have to seal it from the inside, you feel quite assured that he would give that command. You know, he's, he can be ruthless. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. no, uh, I, I am watching it. Um, I'm certainly glad to stay with it. I have some questions about the timeline. Uh, I think the last three episodes have got ever more gripping. Um, but it, it is most definitely that central character that, for me, has been you sort of uh, almost an unshakable rock of um, this is a quality series you're watching and um, I don't think I want to say anything more than that. I think uh, uh, unless I, I think we ought to, to perhaps wrap up at this point. Mike, do you want to come in with a final thought? And I'll ask Kyle and and Darth as well. Well, going into this show, one thing the producers did talk about was how this was the main character would be Michael Burnham. That would be the character from whose perspective we see everything and how it would be different from other Star Trek series where I, I guess if you, I guess other Treks are more 
See, what they kept mentioning was that other checks are more from the perspective of the captain rather than, you know, an, another officer, another character. And I guess, you know, original series, Kirk, Picard, and they're going on Picard, Cisco, Janeway, Archer. But this one, I guess you consider could consider those as being told more from the perspective of the captain than other characters. But this one is the first Trek where we're not seeing that. And, and it's being done well. It's being done well, how how her character her her character is developed, how her story is developed, how her relation with other characters is done, and just how we see this world of of the discovery through that character and how it evolves. It's being really well done. Thank you, Kyle. Any last thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, sorry I haven't said any more. I had a coughing fit. I'm kind of under the weather a little bit, so uh, sorry I haven't said any more in the last little bit. But having said that. Uh, I I go back to saying how much I'm enjoying this episode, regardless of this series. And, you know, I agree on some of the points that you guys have made regarding the timeline. Uh, I really liked the the throwback comment that you made in regards to going back and using a classic model. And then they say, okay, well, we tried this this, this year as the big button you know, really colorful and eh, that just didn't work. We're not going to use that anymore. That that makes sense to me. You know, I could, I, I'm picturing car manufacturers who have done that exact same thing and then said, eh, no, this model just didn't work. Uh, let's go back to, you know, what did work. Um, but what did work overall for me is the way they have weaved the mystery and a little bit of not, anticipating or not knowing what's about to happen even if the spoilers were out even if fans debated it even if fans figured it out it made people talk about it it made people debate it it was worthy enough to where you did speculate and you did try to figure out even if you were right at the very beginning i mean my goodness people have been speculating on who's going to sit on the throne and uh Game of Thrones pretty much since the series started. So the fact that you want to talk about it as a fan and even the detractors who are saying, well, it's not like the old Star Trek. I I compare them to the people who say, I'm not going to watch the 13th Doctor because she's a woman. Yes, they yes, they will. Most of them. And yes, these people who don't like it because it's not your father's Star Trek are watching it. So. I'm enjoying it. And if a uh, shameless plug here, if you want to listen more to Star Trek Discovery reviews, uh, join me as well as Clarence and several other gentlemen on a Star Trek Discovery podcast. It's called the STD, a Star Trek Discovery part, uh, podcast, and that can be found at stdpodcast.com. Thank you, Kyle. And, and Darth, I mean, you don't have to be brief, but sort of a wrap up. No, I'm done. I think I've said everything I need to say. Oh, okay. oh except All right. well, I got no well, issue with Klingons. No, if they want to change the way they look, I got no issue with that. I do dislike the font that is being used for the uh, translation of Klingon. I, I find that just, you know, if you have to read it like in the first episode where it's like, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of subtitles, uh, that font just bugs me. Uh, I I also, the font size, the size of that font, too. Yeah, it's massive. Oh, yeah. It's it all yeah. in your face. It's all, yeah, it's like I get why you'd want I, – I completely understand narratively why it is 
you know, uh, a time to do subtitles. I just don't like the subtitles themselves. That's odd. But I like yeah. the design yeah, of the Klingons. But, 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 but for me, I, I use uh, closed captioning subtitled on everything I've watched because I, because I have bad hearing, and that font irritates me. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's weird. The, the, the only thing I would add to that is the fact that I did feel as though some of the, the Klingon scenes seem to be rather protracted. It, it, you know, it, it, you had to sort of, if you had an attention span of a goldfish, sorry, Ian, I didn't mean you, uh, if you had a short attention span, you know, you, you would find them a little bit painful, those long Klingon scenes, I would have thought. But all, all in all, I think we've given... Um, uh, a well-rounded but fairly positive uh, uh, review here, guys. So uh, thank you very much indeed for that. Um, I'm just going to remind people that next our next episode, which will be episode uh, 368 uh, on the 25th of February, the last Sunday in February, we'll be talking Doctor Who. We'll be reviewing and assessing the Capaldi years um, and any news that happens in between time again apologies uh, for Ian not being here he's still in his spam a lot mode as uh, director and um, that's why some of the uh, the commentaries that we've uh, have been on hold for a while unusually I'm going to play uh, the because I, I missed it out before the Andy of how you can join and I want to play that in now because uh, those people who may be coming especially for our next week's uh, next month's show uh, may want to have refreshed uh, and then I'll just uh, thank our friends again before we hit the outro after that. But this is how you can join us on a future show. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a tip client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. We're looking forward to hearing you. And all that remains for me to do is to thank the, the three guys, Darth Skeptical, Kyle Jones and Randall Thor. Excellent discussion, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, as uh, And thank you very much indeed. And we will be back next month. So if you want to shout out your goodbyes, I'm going to play the outro. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. They're shy. They've gone shy. Thank you, Kyle. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.